What on earth is God doing among the Muslim people today? For a detailed biblical response to that question, stay tuned. Lamb and Lion Ministries presents Christ in Prophecy, a program that focuses on the fundamentals of Bible prophecy, showing how current events in the news relate to biblical predictions of end time events and the soon return of Jesus. Now, here's your host, Dr. David Reagan. Greetings in the name of Jesus, our blessed hope, and welcome to Christ in Prophecy. Back in November of 2020, this ministry conducted a virtual Bible prophecy conference over the internet via live streaming. The theme of the conference was, What on Earth Is God Doing? Our internet evangelist, Nathan Jones, spoke about what God is doing among the Muslim people. Here now are some excerpts from his fascinating and informative presentation. What is it about Islam that hates so much? What turns normal people into raving murderers who say it's their duty to kill? And how will God respond? What is God doing among the Muslims? These questions are what will be covered in this teaching about Islam. To achieve this, we need to get into the head of the Muslim. They're not just a handful of crazy people as many Westerners dismiss. No, there's a reason behind their thinking. They operate on an eschatological view that guides them to achieve their insidious goals. And therefore, there is a reason behind all these killings and death. We will now look at Islam's goals and what Muslims are trying to accomplish. There are three main goals. The goal of Islam can be best summed up by what Sheikh Ibrahim Madaris said on May 13, 2005. He said, We have ruled the world before, and by Allah, the day will come when we will rule the entire world again. The day will come when we will rule America. The day will come when we will rule Britain and the entire world except for the Jews. The Jews will not enjoy a life of tranquility under our rule. The day will come when everything will be relieved of the Jews. Listen to the Prophet Muhammad who tells you about the evil that awaits the Jews. The stones and trees will want the Muslims to finish off every Jew. Now this is the message that's coming out of the mosques around the world and even here in America. That's the message that's being taught. So goal number one is world domination. Islam believes that Islam is, of course, the only true religion. Well, good for them, for Christians believe we're the only true religion as well. But Muslims believe Islam is the only true religion and that they must conquer the world for Islam militaristically. So does that mean that Islam can be coexisted with? Does that mean Islam can be appeased? No, the basic teaching that Muhammad taught his people is that Islam must dominate the world for Allah, just as Gabriel told him. And to do that, all infidels, all unbelievers, must be put to death or be put into submission. Goal number two, Sharia law. Sharia law means the pathway to be followed, or in real translation, the path to the waterhole. It's supposedly based on the infallible world of Allah for Muslims. Sharia law is basically a 7th century teaching. It's how people lived in Arabia in the 7th century. Sharia law supersedes all the laws of any nation. So when a Muslim comes into a country that has a law which says a man, say, cannot beat his wife, that's a problem for the Muslim. For the Quran says that he can go ahead and beat his wife. Every law that is taught in the Quran supersedes the laws of the host nation. That's why when Muslims come into foreign nations, they don't integrate into their societies because their laws teach them that they must remain separate. Islam is very difficult religion for women. Women are very confined. It has very strict penalties. If you commit adultery, you are stoned to death. The little boy in this very real picture stole something, so his father had a car run over his arm to break it. 
If you fornicate, you are stoned to death. You can beat your wife. If you commit apostasy, well, then you must be killed. In other words, if you convert from Islam, other Muslims have every legal right to kill you. Why then do not many people leave Islam? It's a death sentence if they do. Goal number three, the death of the Jews. Islam believes that every Jew must be killed and Israel and Jerusalem must be retaken. There are three reasons why they hate the Jews so much and lust after the land of Israel. First, all land is for Allah. A portion of the Quran states that once the land has been conquered for Allah, it must remain an Islamic land. The Arabs had reconquered Palestine after the Crusaders temporarily besieged it in the Middle Ages and they driven them out. But now Israel possesses that land again. Muslims believe losing any land of Allah's to the infidel terribly offends Allah. And since the Jews hold that land, it must be retaken back for Allah's honor. Does that mean any peace process in the Middle East is going to work with Israel remaining in the land? No. If Israel gives more land away, will that bring peace? No. Peace with Israel is not in the Islamic playbook. They must take every scrap of land that Israel owns. Second, Islam is a works-based salvation. The Islamic religion must redeem themselves for losing the land for Allah, which is what the Muslim clerics teach. Third, they have the belief in the superiority of Islam to other religions. To destroy Israel is to take away the foundation of two of the three major religions as they believe. To keep that Dome of the Rock up on the Temple Mount is to declare to the entire world that they are the dominant religion. That's why the Dome of the Rock is up there. It's a message. It's a flag of sorts. It says, we control the world. We have the best religion. Let's now look at Islam's eschatological views, because Islam believes to have its own particular end time views. The following is what Islam teaches concerning the end times, primarily understood from the Hadith, which has incorporated elements of the Torah, New Testament, and Zoroastrianism. Not all Muslims believe in every or even some of these eschatological elements, just as in Christianity, there are widely divergent views concerning the last days. But whether these elements are believed or not, this is basically what the Hadith teaches. Bear in mind there are elements in Islam that were taken from other religions, so we're going to hear some things that are familiar from the Bible. Don't forget though, Islam is a made-up religion. Satan doesn't know how the end times are going to turn out except from what he reads in the Bible. So as we go through Islam's end time views, please don't be concerned that any of what you're about to hear is actually going to happen. Well, Islam generally believes in a savior and he's called the Mahdi. Who'll arrive during the time called the hour. There will be a number of very interesting signs that follow his coming. Women will outnumber men 50 to 1. Men will eat with their tongues like cows. Time will contract. Wild beasts will speak. And the Euphrates River will uncover a mountain of gold. And when that happens, the Mahdi will come. They also have an antichrist, which they call the Dajjal. Of course, since Islam hates the Jewish people, he's supposedly going to be a Jew. The Dajjal is prophesied to be born in Iran. He has one eye and the word infidel actually tattooed on his forehead. He will lead a Jewish army. In response to the Dajjal, the Mahdi shows up. And some Islamic sects call the Mahdi the 12th Imam, which was a kid who supposedly fell down a well centuries ago, yet he comes back. And the 12th Imam directly descends from Muhammad. Jesus also plays a part in Islamic eschatology and is sometimes confused with the Mahdi. The Mahdi will lead Muslims, along with Jesus, against the Dajjal. Islam teaches that Jesus will return to the Mount of Olives, which they clip from the Bible, and he will defeat the Dajjal near Tel Aviv. He also defeats the Gog-Magog invaders. Jesus then converts the world to Islam, 
He breaks all the crosses, kills all the pigs, he marries, has children, and that he dies. The world during these battles will endure many natural disasters and dangerous beasts will appear. Smoke will engulf the world. There will be landslides. The sun will begin rising from the west. Fire will round up all the people in Syria. Resurrections occur in his Islamic eschatology. There are three to be exact, the trumpet of terror, the trumpet of swoon, and the trumpet of resurrection. That brings people to the day of reckoning. For a Muslim, the day of reckoning is like purgatory. Even if a Muslim is the most devout teacher of Islam, no matter what kind of Muslim you are, you know you're going to end up suffering for at least a little while. A Muslim must suffer as it's a works-based religion. Allah then judges each person based on their works. According to Islam, each person is assigned two angels, and your deeds that they are recorded are placed on scales. If you're found worthy, you cross the bridge. Those who are unfaithful will fall off the bridge into hell, though there are still some chances to be saved after that, and so later be rescued from hell. Islam has a heaven, which is called paradise. Surah 4, 56-57 explains, But those who believe and do righteous deeds, we will admit them to gardens beneath which rivers flow, wherein they abide forever. For them therein are purified spouses, and we will admit them to deepening shade. But those who believe and do righteous deeds, we will admit them to gardens beneath which rivers flow, wherein they abide forever. For them therein are purified spouses, and we will admit them to deepening shade. Those who are slain in life for the advancement of Allah are promised 72 voluptuous virgins. Seven levels exist in this paradise. Unlike Christianity, though, it's not a heaven of spiritual delight and communion with God. Allah is off in the distance. You don't get to talk to Him. Paradise is all physical, all sensual. Really, it's all sexual. You've got to wonder then why any woman would be interested in being a continual concubine throughout their eternal stay. Well, they say it's because they gain eternal youth. There's also a hell. For those who go to hell, Surah 4, 56-57 says, Indeed, those who disbelieve in our verses, the infidels, we will drive them into a fire, and every time their skins are roasted through, we will replace them with other skins so they may taste the punishment. Indeed, Allah is ever exalted in might and wise. Hell in Islam also has seven levels. Did you know that there is a level of hell reserved just for Christians? We've got our own level of hell. And of course, there's also a level of hell reserved for the Jews. In keeping with Muhammad's disdain for women, there's a level of hell primarily reserved for ladies. Not many women are going to make it into paradise unless you're one of the virgins. And although at a 72 to 1 ratio, I'm not really sure how that works. Unfortunate for the Muslim female, hell is primarily for women. Let's answer the question then that's on many people's minds. Will Islam conquer the world? By all indications and by every statistic, Islam will indeed conquer the world. Churches will eventually become mosques. Your children will eventually become Muslims or die for refusing. That is the direction the world is plunging towards right now. Or is it? I would argue, no, praise the Lord. No, my children will not eventually be forced into converting Islam for a few reasons. Islam has an end, according to the Bible. Well, let's look at this map of the Islamic nations, which are in red. Yellow denotes Russia. After all, Russia plays a big part in Bible prophecy. And just find that tiny nation of Israel in green. Can you see it? It's right there. The Bible foretells of three prophetic wars that are soon coming, which I believe will absolutely end Islam as a viable religion in the end times. 
The first end-time war which strikes at the geographical heart of Islam is the Psalm 83 war. It's a war in which Israel will have to deal with its hostile bordering neighbors, Egypt and Syria and Lebanon, Gaza and Jordan. This continuous status quo of Israel and these nations constantly getting in skirmishes cannot last much longer. Israel needs to do something about being constantly living under threat of missile attack. And according to Psalm 83, when this prophecy is fulfilled, Israel will control those bordering nations and gain a brief peace. The following, then, is what the Islamic map will look like after the Psalm 83 war. The second war, which follows, is found in Ezekiel 38 and 39. The Gog-Magog War is one of the best-described prophetic wars in all of the Bible, covering two whole chapters. This exciting war will be a major world-changer. The Gog-Magog War foretells how Russia, Iran, Turkey, all those stand nations, Libya, and the other countries that form an outer ring of Islamic nations will war against Israel. Israel appears undefeatable after the Psalm 83 War, and so all of those nations combine into a coalition in order to make an attempt to plunder and destroy Israel. Well, what happens? These hordes, these uncountable armies, well, Israel has no chance of standing up against them. They're doomed. But no, the Bible says that God will make His appearance back on the earth, not physically, but He Himself personally annihilates the invading hordes. So there's no denying God's behind the divine rescue. God intervenes using biblical types of judgment, such as fire and brimstone, making the armies turn on each other and being decimated by earthquakes. God even rains fire down on the homelands of these invading nations. The entire coalition of Islamic armies, along with Russia, are almost utterly destroyed. The Islamic world map after the Gog-Magog War will then look like this. The third prophetic end-time war should hammer the nail in the coffin of Islam. Revelation describes the horrific time period coming called the Tribulation. It's a seven-year time period when God will pour out His wrath on the earth. God's judgments all happen while the Antichrist rules as a global dictator. How does the Antichrist rise to power out of the European Union, as Daniel 9 indicates? Probably because Russia and the Middle East are no longer world players due to God's crushing hand during the Gog-Magog War. And since the United States sat out the Gog-Magog War, that shows a weakening in the West, likely due to the rapture or financial collapse. That leaves a power vacuum in the world. And there's the revived Roman Empire right there, waiting to fulfill the power vacuum, just as Daniel prophesied. We read in the Bible that in the tribulation, there will be four religions. We know there will be Christianity, made up of those tribulation saints who accepted Christ after the rapture. Then there's Judaism. The Antichrist spends much of his time persecuting tribulation saints and Jews. We know that there's what's called the harlot religion. She's a conglomeration of world religions that rides on the back of the Antichrist, so to speak. She seems in charge, but the Antichrist is really just using her for his own ends, true to form. Halfway through the tribulation, the Antichrist gets rid of all competing religions and he sets himself up solely to be worshipped. Surprisingly, considering Islam's might in the world today, there's no mention of Islam during the tribulation. For a religion that's based on having to destroy one's enemies for Allah's honor, and then Allah loses every single last day war big time, I believe these end time wars are just going to gut Islam before the tribulation begins. That leaves us with the third and final war that should end in Islam. It's called the conventional war. Revelation 6 reveals that the Antichrist, after he assumes power, begins annihilating a quarter of the world's population. That's 1.5 billion people in today's numbers. Now, if you can't have any other religion competing with you, especially a militaristic religion like Islam, which demands there's no other religions beside it, what do you do with it? You have to annihilate it. 
The biggest populations of Muslims in the world most don't realize live in Indonesia and Bangladesh and other Eastern nations outside of the Middle East. So more than likely, the Antichrist is going to be spending the beginning of his reign annihilating Islam so there's no competitor to setting himself up as the true global ruler. How tragic that 1.5 billion people will die from the Antichrist conventional war. But after that war, the Islamic map will look like the following. Looking at these three biblical end time wars, I can only conclude that Islam doesn't have much of a future left to it because the end time signs are pointing to the soon return of Jesus Christ. A Psalm 83 war could break out at any minute, along with the destruction of Damascus as prophesied in Isaiah 17. These world-shaking events could literally occur at any minute. The Gog-Magog alliance of nations already exists. Europe is so fragile that they're ready for a strong leader to take over. Everything is lined up, is in place. And so, according to the Bible, Islam has very little time left to it. We're going to pause now for an important announcement. And when we return, Nathan will share with you how to witness Jesus to Muslims. We want to invite you to attend the Ozark Mountain Prophecy Conference to be held in the beautiful Ozark Mountains in Branson, Missouri on Thursday through Sunday, April 15th through the 18th. The featured speakers will be Jeff Kinley, Todd Hampson, Billy Crone, Gary Stearman, and Dave Reagan. Each speaker will be talking about how Bible prophecy relates to national and international events today. The conference will include five meals, two special events, and a praise and worship service. The two special events are attendance at the spectacular sight and sound production of Jesus and a visit to the Dogwood Canyon Nature Park. Additionally, there will be several opportunities to meet the speakers personally and interact with them with questions and answers. Detailed information can be found at the conference website at OzarkMountainProphecySummit.com or you can call 888-470-1879. Well, today, there's a lot of fear that Islam will soon take over the world. But as we just learned, believers in Christ can find comfort knowing that what Islam means for evil, God is now using to produce good. And one day, Islam will be destroyed. Muslims will put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ by the multitudes. And all of the world will finally know Jesus during his kingdom. Until then, Christians are called to continue to be a witness, sharing the good news of our mighty God and Savior and his great salvation. So you may be wondering then, how do you reach a Muslim for Jesus Christ? Well, I'm going to end this teaching by playing one of our The Inbox teaching videos, all available in a playlist on our Christ in Prophecy YouTube channel. I'm going to share with you six different ways you can reach a Muslim for Christ. Number one, the Bible is okay to read. Surah 5, 46-47 and 68 says that Muhammad gave the okay thumbs up for Muslims to read the Bible. If you give anyone the Word of God and they read it, the Holy Spirit speaks through scriptures. As an example of this, I'll share the real-life testimony of an ex-Muslim girl from Iran who calls herself Fars. I left Islam for several reasons, originally because I was sent by my grandmother to a mullah to learn Islamic prayer. I was taught this in Arabic, which as a Persian, I didn't understand one word of it. When I asked this mullah what the heck it meant and what I was saying, he said it wasn't important that I know, just that I say it with all my heart. Say what with all my heart? He then complained to my grandmother that I was too questioning for a girl 
and should be talked to, whatever. I finally bought an English translation of the Quran. I was appalled. No wonder the mullah didn't want me to know what all it meant. When I read some of the passages in English to my mother, she was shocked with disbelief. That can't be right. She couldn't believe it, and she had been a Muslim all her life, and she never knew exactly what the Quran said. She and my sister have both also left Islam. That is the tragic legacy, especially in Iran, which had Islam forced on it by Arabs. That is why educated college students are all up in arms because they are finally beginning to understand what Islam really means and says. Now, once Fars could read the Bible in her own language, she gave her life to Christ. So it's okay for a Muslim to read the Bible and you can tell them that. Number two, the life of Christ. When you hold up the life of Muhammad, a, a killer, a murderer, a wife stealer, a child molester, a liar, and put it up against Jesus Christ, who's sinless and loving and holy and died for us, the Muslim is shocked. They can't believe the difference. That Jesus taught in the Quran isn't the same Jesus at all. Of course, anyone who's attracted to someone who lays their life down for them, tell them what Jesus did for them by dying for their sins. The following was a real testimony of a man from Morocco named Ibn Zakaria who learned this truth. I left Islam because I didn't find peace with it. Since my childhood, I had a lot of questions in my mind about human rights in Islam, women's rights, eternal life, and about the life of Muhammad. I started looking for answers by reading the Bible and comparing the life of Muhammad to that of the Lord Jesus Christ. I found myself far from Islam and enlightened by the gospel and the truth of the word of God. Third, the love of God. God is love, but for Muslims, they never know love from Allah whatsoever. They see these mullahs on TV who are angry and yelling all the time. It's a religion of hate. A Muslim, like any person, wants to know love, and you can reach them by telling them about the love of God. Abdul Masih of Egypt shared how he became saved when he encountered the love of God. I was born in Egypt to a Muslim family. I think in looking back that maybe my family was loving because it was liberal in its approach to Islam. It was very loving not because of Islam, but in spite of it. When I began to study, I saw that the Quran was very filled with hate and not enough on love. Christianity seems so much more familiar, and the Sermon on the Mount is a teaching after my own heart. There's nothing like it in the Islamic literature. Fourth the assurance of salvation. Monif in Morocco wrote in his testimony about the lack of eternal security in Islam. My father was and still is an imam in a mosque. I had many questions about my place in paradise, but there was no answer. Muslims have no assurance of salvation except for one thing, and that is to die a martyr. To kill infidels by your own death is the only assurance they have of salvation. Why do you think certain Muslims are willing to blow themselves up in the name of Allah? Martyrdom is the only way they can be assured of entering into paradise. You instead can assure them that through Jesus Christ who died once and for all for their sins, they can have the assurance of living in heaven forever with their loving Father. Number five, grace. Islam is like wearing shackles to a Muslim. They, they feel it, they know it, but when you teach them about the grace of God, that there's nothing we can do to be saved, that God did it all for us, and that Jesus Christ paid for our sins on the cross, then they feel relieved. Well, maybe you can look back at a time when you got saved and you remember how it felt to have that weight off your, of your sins and works lifted off of you. 
Well, a Muslim is looking for that weight to be lifted off them as well. Sinbad of India shared his experience casting his weight off him. I had, of course, gone through the whole process of learning about Islam and the do's and don'ts, and had always tried to practice it, but always was struggling as if I was forever carrying a great load on my back, as if I was in prison. After I left, I felt as if I had just been released from prison. And six, a relationship with God. Learning one can have a personal relationship with God is one of the best ways to reach a Muslim for Christ. Christians enjoy a relationship with God and not some distant, unknowable being who could care less about them and wants their deaths to prove their faith, but a heavenly Father who loves them and cares for them, the very Jesus that you and I accepted. Cynthia from America shared about coming back to such a relationship. My fear of Allah became so intense that I hoped to get cancer and therefore be punished for my sins on earth instead of after death. I would scrub and cleanse my body in prayer so obsessively that my hands became cracked and bloody. Still, I continued to believe in a religion that on the outside looked so moral and just. Then I did something that I told my parents and myself I would never do. I rented the movie The Passion of the Christ. I held back tears that threatened to fall from my eyes until the short scene in the movie when Mary Magdalene reverts back to the day when Jesus was the only person who would accept her and love her. I began to cry as I suddenly realized what my mother had been trying to tell me for all those years. Finally, I understood that God loved me and was not out to get me or to harm me. It was at that moment that I knew that Allah was not God. I felt the love and protection of God all around me. I was no longer scared to live and no longer scared to die. The world looked so beautiful and I couldn't stop thanking God for saving me. It's only been two weeks since I was saved by Jesus Christ and they have been the happiest two weeks of my life. Every day that I wake up, I am so grateful that God never left my side during my seven-year hiatus. I feel like He was just patiently waiting for my return. I now live my life with an inner peace and love for God that I cannot put into words. Thank you, Jesus, for never leaving me. Well, folks, that's our program for today. I hope it has been a blessing to you, and I hope the Lord willing that you will be back with us again next week. Until then, this is Dave Reagan speaking for Lamb and Lion Ministries saying, Look up, be watchful, for our redemption is drawing near. Get your own copy of the What on Earth is God Doing? live stream conference presentation you have just viewed, along with two other dynamic presentations, as well as the follow-up hour-long question and answer session on DVD for a gift of $10 or more, including the cost of shipping. To order, just call the number you see on the screen Monday through Friday from 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Central Time, or place your order through our website at lamblion.com. This conference DVD answers the following challenging questions. What is God doing among the Muslims? Presented by Nathan Jones, our Lamb and Lion Ministries Internet Evangelist. What is God doing among the Jewish people? Presented by Colonel Tim Moore, our Associate Evangelist and Dr. Reagan's designated successor. And What on Earth is God Doing in America? Presented by Dr. David Reagan, the Founder and Senior Evangelist of Lamb and Lion Ministries. 
All three of these dynamic messages answer those weighty questions that are so burdening our minds during these tumultuous times. The Q&A dives even deeper by answering questions sent in by our conference viewers to help you further understand what prophetically is going on in the world. You'll find the messages in this DVD will provide an excellent teaching resource for both individual and group study, and they can even be played at church services. These messages will challenge you to think deeply about the current condition of our world and how Christians should respond in these difficult times. Again, this What on Earth is God Doing? Conference DVD can be yours for a gift of $10 or more, including the cost of shipping. Just call the number you see on the screen or order online at lamblion.com. Thank you for joining us on today's Christ in Prophecy, a presentation of Lamb and Lion Ministries, a non-denominational ministry dedicated to teaching the fundamentals of biblical prophecy and proclaiming the soon return of Jesus. 